As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to the latest episode of The Shamrock. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Matt Fortuna, and special guest today, Notre Dame defensive coordinator Marcus Freeman. We had Tommy Reese on last week. Uh, pleased to be joined by Marcus today. Marcus, I guess, first off, thanks for doing this. And it's been a bit of a whirlwind, even though we're in sort of month seven here for you. How, um, I guess, <laughs> how prepared or not do you feel for the, uh, the first day of training camp, which is, I think, almost two weeks or, two weeks or three weeks away now? <laughs> not prepared enough i'll tell you that right now and so i'm dying to get back in this office and uh we're finishing up a little bit of vacation time as coaches right now and, and i'm dying to get back in the office monday as a staff and kind of start to put together our final preparations for fall camp because that's what you love to do man you love to go out there and coach ball but you want to make sure you're prepared and have a schedule set and it's going to be new for me you know i'm the new guy and i'm sure the guys that have been here um, they know the schedule. They kind of know the routine of what's going to happen. But for me, um, until I actually get that hard copy from coach, you know, and he hands it to me and, and he says, here's the practice script and here's the schedule, you know, I'm kind of a little bit lost right now. Marcus, your name was a hot commodity for a couple of years now. Um, when did you feel the time or why did you feel the time was right for you to, to step forward from Cincinnati and why Notre Dame? Obviously, the Irish weren't the only suitors for your services this past winter. Can you kind of take us through the, the growth process for you? career? Yeah, I think for me, it was just there was never an opportunity, man, that I was just running to. There was never an opportunity to present himself that 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 I really couldn't turn down. You know, and then all of a sudden a school like Notre Dame comes and they offer you a chance to be the defense coordinator. That's something you dream about as a kid. You, you dream about being able to coach, um, you know, when I got into the profession, you know, and maybe not as a kid, but as I got into the profession, if I would have said, hey, in 2020, you're going to be the defense coordinator in Notre Dame, like that's that's something that it's unimaginable imaginable at times, you know. And so um, this is an opportunity you couldn't turn down. You know, this is a life-changing opportunity for myself individually, but also for my family and uh, um, something that that I'm extremely humble and grateful to have. And, and kind of how I got here, obviously, um, a lot of people heard the story, but, um, you know, me and my wife after the Georgia game, uh, Peach Bowl, um, we decided to come to Notre Dame and go to LSU. And there were some other opportunities, but we said, hey, these are the two schools that we're uh, going to go visit. And, and again, 
I don't like to compare Notre Dame versus anybody else. I just love to talk about how great Notre Dame is and because that's where my my focus is. And, and we do the same thing recruiting. I don't like to say, hey, here's Notre Dame versus everybody else. No, this is just Notre Dame. And you sell Notre Dame. And that's why I came to Notre Dame because Notre Dame's an opportunity like no other. You know, a chance to be a part of this network, a chance to be the deepest corner of this place, man, is, is an opportunity that you can't pass up. I was, uh, you know, we've talked about recruiting before, but I was curious about sort of your career development and your and sort of your style as a coach because, you know, talking to you and talking to some of your influence, whether it be, uh, you know, Pat Wood back at, at Wayne or even, uh, <laughs> you know, I'm going to talk to Luke Fickle here coming up. Like, you have some very, like, old school influences mm-hmm. and yet you have, like, kind of a modern way about you as a coach. So I'm curious how you how you take the parts from the old school that you like, but then sort of spin them forward or customize them to your personality and like why that works. Yeah, I remember being a young coach and um, I remember reading a lot of books. You know, I remember reading John Wooden books and all these different books and just of the most successful coaches. And I, I remember telling a coach, his name was John Shoup. He was offense coordinator at Purdue. So this had be my third year coaching. And I remember saying, man, I guess I have to be like blank if I want to be the best coach ever. I guess I have to be like blank. You know, I kept mm-hmm. using these names. I never forget, Shoot told me, said, hey, if you're not yourself, you'll be a fraud to all your players. And they'll see right through it. And so that resonated with me. And it's something I always remember. That you have to be yourself. I take bits and pieces of Pat Wood, as you said, who was my high school defense coordinator. Jay Mitten, who was my high school head coach. Jim Tress, my college head coach. Luke Fickle, my college position coach. Jim Haycock, who was my defense All these people that I can go through. And you take bits and pieces. I take bits and pieces of my father. And and you, you use those lessons. But if you don't present them in a way that's yourself, you'll be a fraud. These kids, man, are so intelligent. You can't trick these kids. And if you try to present in a way or try to be somebody you're not, they'll catch you. And then you lose trust like that. And that's the hardest thing to gain. Quickest thing to lose, but the hardest thing to gain is the trust of your players. And that's something we work for. We work at doing every single day. But in a matter of one fraud or one moment of, of, of dishonesty, man, you're going to lose it like that. And it's so hard to gain back. Marcus, I remember hearing you speak, God, it must have been seven or eight years ago now when you were at Purdue. And I think you were playing Ohio State and someone asked about you getting into coaching and you talked about Luke Fickle basically telling you, hey, not everywhere is like Ohio State. Like you're going to have to start at the bottom. You're not going to have all the, the bells and whistles. And by the way, this is the most selfish thing you can do to your family. Uh, I mean, at, at that mm-hmm. point, you're taking it all in. You're playing career ended prematurely. When did you know, you know what, despite all that, this is for me. This is some, This is my calling. This is what I want to do. It, it kind of developed. You know, I didn't get into coaching for the right reasons. I got in coaching because football got taken away from me like this. And I thought I was going to be in the NFL for 10 years and make money and, and figure out what I was going to do and, and be an athletic director when I was done playing. And all of a sudden the game's taken away within a year. And I'm like, man, I want to be around the game. And I'll never forget my first call was to Luke Fickle and was like, hey, I think I want to be in coaching. And he'd said those things you said. And he said, hey, come meet with me. Let's talk about it. And the first thing he tried to do was talk me out of it. And, and the reason being is because if you don't have a passion for for being a football coach, like it'll eat you alive. It'll wear you out. And, um, you know, I know why he tried to talk me out of it. I didn't know that me not being able to be talked out of it um, really meet deep, deep 
really meant deep down inside, like I had a passion coach. I thought more so, hey, man, I want to be around football. I want to be on the sidelines. Like, I want to be like Luke Fickle and Jim Trestle and make all this money. And, and then, then all of a sudden, you go through this year as a GA where you're coaching one position. I got one position. Most, some of those kids that I coached played with me. But the greatest fulfillment I had as a, as a GA, which is a coach, you, you coach a position, but as a graduate assistant was, I remember putting something on a tip sheet. I remember reminding a kid the day of the game, hey, if you see this, I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was something on the tip sheet. It was something that I told him before the game. And then he went and made a sack. And it was just the greatest man fulfillment as a coach to see a kid achieve his goals because of something you did to help them. And that's what I've kind of learned over time, man, is that it isn't so much about just football. It isn't so much about X's and O's. It's about seeing these young people reach their goals. Like that's the greatest fulfillment for me as a coach is to see young people reach their goals and see young people go through that rough, discomfortable patch of being pushed really hard. But on the other side of it, man, they say, thank you. You know, I appreciate it, coach. You helped me reach every goal I wanted. And, uh, that's that's why I do it. That's my motivation. I thought I, I talked to Daryl Hazel last week. Uh, I thought you might bring up like your ability to call a fake punt at the right time. Uh, <laughs> that sounded like you had a real skill of that, a nonverbal communication to Coach Hazel uh, with that kind of stuff. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, Coach gave me a lot of uh, freedom, you know, and and <laughs> yeah, the the ability to call a fake punt honestly is you have to do it when they don't expect it, like. Everybody knows when you're down 21 points or 14 points, the ball's around the 50-yard line. And you know what I mean? You have to make something out you're going to fake a punt. But it's the ability when the ball's on the 30-yard line and maybe you're up, maybe you're down only seven. It's a close game. You look at Coach Hazel and say, hey, can we, I'm telling you it's going to work. And you got to convince him during the week. Like, <laughs> you got to make it so good during the week that he knows it's going to work. And so you kind of got to, you know, finagle the scout team a little bit to make sure this works out. Do not mess up this play because coach <laughs> will throw it out. And so it's the ability to do that and then call it the right time. And, uh, man, coach, listen, coaching punt team is something that I want to do again at some point. I don't know if I ever will, but – Gosh, that was a lot of fun, man. It look, was a lot of fun. Look out, Brian Polian. I did. I did want to <laughs> dial down more on like Luke, the Luke Fickle relationship because I mean that. I don't know. It's stupid to like sort of like, hey, what's the most important relationship? But I know, I know that one is way up there for you. Um, yeah. Why? Why was that so transformative for you? And like, could you give us some insight of just like how close you actually were? I mean, you you know sort of read the stories about you living in his basement um yeah. you know he's like i think a godfather for one of your kids like it, yeah. it certainly goes beyond just like hey what kind of defense do you want to run right well you think about this is why i have a passion to coach college football it's because people always say do you want to go to the nfl i don't know maybe sometime but not right now because you take a young person from 18 to 22 those are some of your most vulnerable years you know what I mean? And then you can really influence the way a young person thinks from 18 to 22, you know? And, and I've always said this, other than my father, probably Luke Fickle is a person that had the most impact on me as an adult. And I say this, and it's never the things Fick said, and he knows this. It's more so just watching him. I remember observing him as a father, observing him as a, as a husband and saying, okay, I see, I see the example, you know, and I know I, I have my father and he's, he's still married to my mother and, and he was an example, but 18 to 22, man, it's somebody other than your father. Um, he was a great example for me, but then that was coach play. 
you know, and that was a, a, a coach-player relationship. It wasn't I loved Luke Fickle. You know, it, it was never like that. He was tough. He was demanding. Um, he pushed you. And I probably would say a lot of our players say the same thing about me, like, are we best friends? No, but coach is hard on you. Coach is demanding, but that's the way I was coached. Mm-hmm. And that's the way I believe in, in how to lead and serve these kids is push them really, really hard for as long as they know you trust them. And so you take those four to five years and then you take my GA year. It's a little bit different, right? I'm still his former player, but now I'm a part of the coaching staff and I'm starting to spend more time with him, you know, more than just football and our families. And we have kids that are the same age. At that point, when I was GA for him, we had one son that was the same age um, as his oldest twin boys. And so then all of a sudden I go to Kent State with Daryl Hazel. I'm there for two years. Me and Fick talk all the time. And then I go to Purdue and me and Fick talk. It's just, it's hard to talk to a lot of people about things that go on in coaching unless you're a coach. And we have usually like a weekly phone call when I was at Purdue and Kent State. It was usually Monday, late Monday nights. It was like 11 or 12 o'clock. We would call. He's on the way home. Or I'm on the way home. And we would just talk. And sometimes we would vent. Sometimes we would just talk about the opponent. We really just talked for 20, 30 minutes every Monday. I, looked, I always look forward to that because there's things that I can't talk to just normal people about that's going on with my, my football um, my football profession. And so um, then I get you to 2017. You know, and, and I'm hired as his defensive coordinator at Cincinnati. And, and when you stepped into that office, right, here's the unique relationship we have. It was still coach player. It was head coach. You were, I mean, it was hard demanding. Uh, 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 you know, it, was, it wasn't easy. And he pushed you and he, he wanted, he demanded the best out of you. And I respect it because it helped me grow tremendously. The unique part about our relationship was that one, his wife and my wife were extremely close. Like they're really, really close. We obviously have kids that are very same, mm-hmm. they're the same age. And so the minute we were able to step out of the office, like we could go to each other's house. I go to his house, he come to my house with his family and just spend time and just we could get away from football because we had a lot of similar personalities. We had a lot of similar family makeups. And um, it was four years of of, of really just family. You know, and that's why it was easy to move into his house for him and I, why we got our new house ready and, and why it was so hard to leave. You know, as, as Matt said, he's the, he and his wife are the godparents of our youngest son, Rocco. And, and it was really hard to leave because there was a personal connection, obviously, with him, too. Mm-hmm. And um, um, it, it's still, I mean, it's, that's something you did for four years that, you know, I'm still getting used to at times. Sometimes you're looking like, hey, where's Fick? I need to talk to him about something. You know what I mean? And, uh, but it, it's a great, it, again, it's a relationship that will last for the rest of our lifetimes. And, uh, I, I can, so grateful for, for what he's done for me in my career. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24 7 US based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Mark, isn't that the same vein? What's that conversation like when you finally decide to spread your wings and, and move on from him? And what's going to be like facing him in a couple of months? Um, it was uh, very busy. I mean, he, he understood, you know, and, and it's unique because the closest person you probably have to talk to about the situation you were in was also your boss. And you really didn't want to talk to him too much about it, you know? And, and it was, you know, I spent time talking to my wife and kind of when I told him, Hey, this is what I'm going to do. He's man, I'll support you. I wish you the best. And, and kind of moved on. It wasn't a big hug celebration. Like let's go, man. This is great. It was more business. And, and I think we both heard a little bit, you know, it, we both kind of were like, Thing. It stinks more so for not nah, he is going to be fine defensive coordinator he knows that it's more so the relationship we had man that mm-hmm. being able to walk into each other's office and go into each other's house like that's the part that's going to hurt and leave you know the game I'm again like I think everybody else will make more of that game than me in him they're going to try to make it about Coach Kelly and Cincinnati me and Cincinnati it's Listen, when that game comes, it's going to be, listen, I got one job, get these guys ready to dominate, get these guys ready to prepare to win. And and is there added motivation? I don't know. I'm motivated every day to, to try to win. <laughs> like, I don't know if I can get added motivation, you know, and, and I have a job to do. And I'm going to get these guys ready. And, and after the game, we'll hug and we'll embrace and we'll move on to the next week. Yeah, if only Cincinnati's offensive coordinator also had some added motivation for that game, just to make it a little extra. Um, but yeah, that would be good. It'll be, it'll be good to see them. Yeah. Uh, as you, I sat down with um, Myron Tungvaluwa, Mosa, and Maris Leofau on Monday for a story, and I asked them a, a little bit about you as an aside, and they both mentioned about like you. You have referenced like you got to be the head coach of your position. Um, in terms of getting to know your players. And I thought it was interesting. One thing Myron mentioned was like, he really respected like, hey, I think his message, the message he took away from me was like, hey, I'm I'm here like, I got a chance to be, you know, the first African-American defensive coordinator at Notre Dame. Um, and that was something that you saw as like important. Um, and that really registered with him. Like how, how like personal do you try to make it with players uh, to sort of get to know how they tick and also let them know how you tick? Yeah, I think that that was a conversation that me, Myron Marist and uh, Jordan Botello kind of had yeah. in private. It was a kind of close the door and, and it, it was actually a part of a teaching lesson. You know, the lesson being, hey, you have to control your emotions. You have to control the narrative. The narrative about you right now is you can't control your emotions. When you step on the field, you lose your mind. Mm-hmm. And it was more of a, a lesson in terms of let me tell you something. Like, I want to control my narrative, right? I don't want people to be able to say, hey, here's who Marcus Freeman is. No, I want to be able to control that. And, and I said I had an opportunity to be the first black coordinator ever at Notre Dame. And... um you know, that was something that, that 
I wanted to do, you know, and that's something that I want to control there. I, everybody said, Hey, you're going to go to the SEC. And then that, I don't know. I don't know right, wrong, or indifferent why people said that. I said, but I wanted to be able to say, no, like, I'm going to go to Notre Dame. I'm going to control this narrative, you know? And that's what I was trying to use as a, a lesson to teach them is that, hey, don't let people say that you lose your minds when you step on the field. You can't control yourselves because you're letting other people control the narrative. Mm-hmm. You have to be able to control yourself when you get upset and when you get angry. And, and it was just more of a teaching lesson. Again, okay. I think with – with every individual, you know, you're not going to say the same thing to an entire defensive unit as you're going to say to an individual, you know, and, and um, I try to make sure that, hey, a part of earning trust is having that personal connection with kids. And you got to open up your heart a little bit and you got to make sure that, hey, you don't stay tight. That's, you know, what I mean, you open up your heart and be able to, hey, come into my world a little bit. And I think that's a way to earn trust with your players. Marcus, to go back to your playing career a little bit, you mentioned you had plans when you were a college football player that probably weren't all that different from the plans that your current players at Notre Dame or any elite level college football player has right now. They want to go to the NFL and have a long career. I'm sure there are a lot of life lessons in, in what happened to you and how you kind of made lemonade out of lemons, so to speak. I mean, what? how did you cope with your career ending prematurely? How? What did you learn from that? And, and how long did it take you to kind of get over that, for lack of a better term? Yeah, I mean, it <laughs> it sounds good when you write an article and it <laughs> says, hey, Freeman's career is cut short because of medical, you know, condition. He has an enlarged heart valve. But the reality is, is that I was on three teams in one year. And, you know, like, you kind of see like, oh, shoot, you know. Now, it's a little bit harder than what you would think. Now, I also say this, that that you know, I felt like I was in the best place mentally to be ready to go and make a team in the NFL right when I found I had an on chart now because it took me a little bit of time to, you know, to make that transition from college to the NFL in terms of, you know, you're from Dayton, Ohio, you go to Ohio State, there's kids on Ohio State that's already on the, that you already know in high school and, and, you know, you're never really outside your comfort zone, you know, and, I use this as another lesson with a lot of new kids that are kind of homesick. I said, for me, I really didn't get homesick till I got to the NFL. I was by myself. I had a wife and a kid back home. Um, I'm living a dream, what most people would think, but I'm also like homesick. I'm like, geez, man, this like, I just, I just want to be around my family. And I use that story with a lot of kids that I see in college going through being homesick because I say, once you get through it, like I did, once it took me a couple months or a year to get through it, once you know what it takes, you'll, you'll be able to get through any discomfort. You know what I mean? But for me, it took getting into the NFL. For some kids in college, I'm like, it's the greatest thing to go through this early because once you get through being homesick and, and how tough it is to adjust to the college you know, lifestyle, I promise you, man, there won't be another obstacle that you can't attack and you can't win. And so that kind of, um, you know, kind of is the story about, you know, my whole transition from college to the NFL. When I found out, Matt, that, that I couldn't play and it was on hard drive, it was almost like a, you know, prayer or answer was, was answered. Like I was kind of going back and forth like, man, this is my third team in one year. Like, should I kind of, you know, I had a couple knee surgeries. Should I kind of – you know, be ready to hang this thing up. And, and, and that, and I remember Fick, me and Fick had a conversation. It was like, listen, as long as somebody wants to sign you, you can play, play. 
And that's kind of when I said, okay, I'm going to Indy. Let's go, man. Mm-hmm. Like, let's do this. And that's when, you know, they found an enlarged heart valve. And it was really like prayers were answered. Like, hey, man, this is kind of being, your decision is being made for you. And uh, that's when I got into the coaching profession. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. It, we talked a little bit of this before we started recording, but like, you know, a lot of this conversation is about relationships, you as a player to coaches, um, you to, as an assistant to your head coach, you as a coach to your players. But like, as you're here at Notre Dame, sort of, I don't want to say coaching your coaches, but certainly like building trust with your, with Mike Elston, with Nick Lazinski, with O'Leary. I mean, you know, Mickens, like that's good. How, how have you sort of gone about that process? And I mean, it sounds like that is, as critical, if not more, to the relationships you have with your players in some in some ways. Yeah, and you got to be who you are, right? And and I believe in this, Pete, is that I'm a leader by as a teammate. Like I lead as a teammate, and I want these guys that are part of the defensive staff to feel like I'm a teammate. I don't come in here and try to be a dictator. Is there times that I have to make decisions? Yeah, that's a part of being deep corner. You got to make the tough decisions, but. For me to come in and drop this playbook and say, this is what we're doing. You guys get in line. And and some people do that. And that's their leadership style. That's not mine. Mine is to lead as a teammate. And so how do I do that with these guys? It's you, you give them power. I want Mike Elson. It feels like, you know what? He is the head coach D line. He's going to have, he's going to teach them the techniques that he wants to teach them. I know the picture that I want created. You know, and and the same thing with Mickens. Like, I, I can't coach the corners. I can tell you I want you to play man-to-man with this type of leverage and, hey, make sure that they don't catch the fade ball. But at the same time, the techniques and the little intricate details, like, Mick, you're the head coach of the corner. Same thing with O'Leary. You're the head coach of the safeties. And, and so I hope these guys feel empowered. Like, I hope they feel like, you know what, Coach Raymond isn't trying to be my head coach. He ain't trying to tell me how to coach the D-line, the corner of the safeties. You know what I mean? And he's empowering us. But at the same time, it's my job is to make sure we're all on the same page and that we're very clear on how we're teaching, what we're teaching. OK, and that's the X and O's part of it. Now, when you talk about making a connection off the field, like that's that's important, too. That's just as important as the X and O's part of it. And so I made it a big part to spend time with those guys. Like even if we're not watching film, I want to be together. And I know sometimes they get tired of seeing me, but. I try to do different things and make sure that, hey, man, let's sit in this room together and talk. I want to know how you're feeling. I want to know how your three daughters are doing else. And Mick, tell me how Millie's doing. Her birthday was yesterday. O'Leary's got a son named Jack. Nick's got two daughters. And so if they know that I care about more than just X and O's and their families, I think they, they can feel that, hey, man, maybe this guy does really care about me. And you can earn some trust. And so it's very intentional. Um, but I think that's the way I like to lead. I like to mm-hmm. lead as a teammate, and, and the only way you can do that is to build trust with those guys. Marcus, in that same vein, I say this full well, full aware that you're undefeated. It's still the honeymoon phase for everybody. But what's it like to work for Brian Kelly? And what was Brian Kelly like as a recruiter? He's strong. He's strong. I'll tell you what, man, if Coach Kelly gets on a Zoom, the first was a Zoom. I left that Zoom after an hour, like, okay. 
I get why Brian Kelly's Brian Kelly. And then we walk into his office and and I got this little Italian wife with me and we come in there and, and he's like, Marcus, I've already seen you. Hey, Joanna, how's Vinny, Gino, Nico, Rocco, Capri, and Sienna doing? And she was like, I'm, I'm done. She's like, this is where we're going. He knew all six kids' names and, and he knew the key to her heart. And so it it just shows who he is, man. Coach Kelly's an ultimate recruiter. Man. He gets you to that office. I haven't seen I mean, it's very few people that are who as good as him. And and also him in front of a room. Like, you know, being a new guy, I like to, you know, all the coaches don't have to be in the team meetings, but I like to be there just to hear the head coach speak. And every time he gets in front of a room, it is very clear. It is very intentional, the things he says, and it's very impressive. And so I get what makes Coach Kelly Coach Kelly. I mean, he is very strong. He's really good with his words. He's a great presenter, and he's a great recruiter. Um, so it's been great for me being here. Um, I think the, the, the unique part about this is he's more he, – he has – he's been a defensive coordinator. I think he's obviously recently been more of an offensive guy. Um, so he doesn't really come and hang out with us much, but he does give you good insight, especially from the offensive side of view. You know, when he does come down, he had, now he's told me before, and Marcus, when I was at Grand Valley State, we were in the middle of the field. I ran double corner fire pressure, and I'll tell you what, man, it was really good. And I looked, and I thought, oh, okay, Coach Kelly, I walked to these steps. And no way we're running double corner fire pressure in the middle of the field, guys. Like, we're all – everybody on the same page. When the head coach gets a suggestion, we all say, okay, Man, we got to talk when he leaves. Like, I don't know if we're going to run double corner fire pressure in the middle of the field, but it's been really, really good. It's a lot of fun. All right, Marcus, I'll wrap up on this. I was curious because, like, you you sort of hit the ground running in recruiting and I think made a, a very strong impression in a lot of regards. I was interested in how you learned how to sell Notre Dame because, like, Notre Dame is a very unique place. I think BK would tell you himself it probably took him three, four years to figure out how to present it, how to sell it, what kind of kids to go after, um, how to close on them. How, how have you sort of tried to educate yourself sort of at warp speed on that? It's more so the things that I've learned make this place special, right? And so when I'm here and you talk to guys like Tom Mendoza and you talk to guys that are so powerful in this world, not only in this country, but in this world, you realize you sit in your desk and say, oh, gosh, there's a network here that's stronger than anywhere else in the country. And you're able to sell, like the football access is the football access. Like Notre Dame football access, the numbers, they speak for themselves. You know, the NFL draft picks, the NFL development, that speaks for itself. But this 4th for 40, this network that you join, I just hear examples over and over. Like you hear an example from Elston, and I use a recruiting, he said, hey, he was – I don't know where he was at, but basically him and a player um, was at a, a big-time donor's house, and the donor, by the end of the dinner, was like, hey, when that guy's done playing, I want to hire that guy. And I remember just saying, like, that's Notre Dame. Like, if you're able to get your degree from this place and you do things the right way, somebody will take care of you. Or you're going to be in a relationship with somebody that you guys can work together, that there's just some connection that's going to help you succeed. And so the things that I sell, Peter, really just the things that I've experienced since I've been here. Okay. And it's like, hey, guys, I know you think I'm selling for Notre Dame. I am because that's my job, but I'm telling you real life things. Like I'm telling you things that I, I see firsthand. I'm all in on this place. Okay. And, and, and that's what I try to tell them. Like I chose this place. I knew it was unique. 
but now I know why it's unique. And, and so the ability to sell this to a young person, the ability to speak it in a way that they understand, you know what I mean? I think that's the unique part about it is you're not going to speak to everybody the same. And the ability to understand how this person comprehends one thing versus how this person comprehends another thing, but you're still saying the same things, right? We can speak it differently, but for him to understand that, sometimes I use a rapper like, hey, if I'm talking to a kid like, hey, who's your favorite rapper? And they'll say somebody like uh, Young Dirk or Little, some Nas, whatever. And I say, listen, you got to think like Jay-Z. Jay-Z just sold titles for billions of dollars. And this is what Notre Dame does for you. Like, you, you can look at those other schools, but I'm talking Notre Dame's like Jay-Z. And to be able to tell a kid like, oh, that makes sense. Man, you're talking big picture. Like, it, I'm just telling you it's an unbelievable network. I'm just telling you this 4 for 40, but I can say it in a way maybe that you can say, oh, okay, I get it. I get it. It's not just 4 for 40. You're setting yourself up for generational, you know what I mean, generational success. All right, that was the best spin on 4 for 40 I've ever heard. Um, <laughs> all right, Marcus, I know you got to run. Thanks for being with us on the Shamrock. This was, this was great. I appreciate the conversation, the candor, the insight, uh, and the name drop of Tom Mendoza because he is, I think for Matt and I, one of our favorite people that we've met in the process of covering Notre Dame. So I'm glad that you've uh, you've mined that wealth of information and inspiration as well. So thanks for being awesome, with us. Awesome, guys. Appreciate it, man. Had a blast.